kind of control thing, the pitch that we were getting from the young entrepreneurs in their booths. So you can't really walk the floor and be pitched to again and again, or your time will all be stolen away from you and you won't actually end up learning anything. So we flipped it around on people in the booths. We would walk the floor and we'd approach the booth and we would say, hey, do you want to play a game? And usually they would. And we'd say, this will, this will just take two minutes of your time. We kind of switched the power dynamic on them and controlled their pitch. Friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Joining me today as my guests are Susanna Camp and Jonathan Littman. They are the co-authors of an interesting new book titled, The Entrepreneur's Faces, How Makers, Visionaries, and Outsiders Succeed. So yeah, it's a book full of compelling stories about entrepreneurs. But what struck me was really, I was really a guide for personal development, specifically for sales professionals, not Surprisingly, given I look at things through that lens quite often. And, you know, as sellers, we are all mini entrepreneurs and how we manage our, our sales territory. And in our conversation, we talk about what Jonathan and Susanna call a fresh human centered model for transformation. And we dive into why it's essential at the start of your journey to truly understand who you really are and what other types of people speak to you and the challenges you help solve. And this is so true for sellers. Who are you? And we dig into how the entrepreneurs whose stories they profile symbolize what they believe is a revolutionary movement and how people today can take charge of their lives and their careers and how you too can take proactive steps to take charge of your life and your career. We'll get into this and much, much more. It's a really fun conversation. But before we get to Susanna and Jonathan, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Jonathan, Susanna, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Andy. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Andy. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, so this may sound like deja vu, but where have you been sheltering during the pandemic? We're near San Francisco, right near the Golden Gate Bridge uh, over in Marin County. Um, we're not going into San Francisco very often, this little <laughs> crisis we have yes. lately. Yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's the question I've been asking all my guests recently, and we'll get an answer from each of you. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself during the pandemic? We'll start with Susanna. Thank you. Great question. We actually started a, a group called the Reset Club. We, <laughs> we, we took a cue from uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who mm -hmm. tweeted one day about how the pandemic was forcing a total reset, personal professional and financial for all of us. So we gathered some of our friends and colleagues from our network and set up a, a monthly Zoom call with them to talk about how we are resetting our lives and our professional careers and our outlooks during this time. And it's been wonderful. We start with a prompt and we have some had some great conversations. Well, so for you, what do you think that reset will be? I've been studying instructional design. I'm getting a certificate at Harvard Extension. Mm -hmm. So I have been thinking a lot about how we are all teachers. It's, right. it's not just uh, the teachers in front of the, the class or even the instructional designers creating the digital courses, which I've been doing. 
uh, it's there were many, many opportunities to create lasting, enduring understandings that really help people to change their lives and, and keep learning as lifelong learners. And writing is another one of those things for me, ways yeah. that you can teach. Well, and I think that, I mean, at least I, I believe this is true in, in sales. I think it's always been the case, but it, it certainly, I think, is more pronounced now is this, to your point, is this need for becoming a continuous lifelong learner. If you're not, uh, you are going to get left behind. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and how about you, Jonathan? Well, we um, we had this little thing where we were actually up in Lake Tahoe and suddenly uh, shut down of everything. And we had a book, which we were coming toward uh, finishing The Entrepreneur's Faces, our new book. And the expert told us, uh, you can't publish in a pandemic. Just forget it. Uh, because... Why? Because people are people are at home. What do they have to do but read? Well, you know, because there was an election. You might have heard there was an election coming, and and um, a lot of times people will say no. They'll tell you not to try a new way to sell something. They'll tell you to wait. And we decided we would go ahead. We actually discovered to our you know joy that. More companies have been started in the last four months than the last 13 years. Um, it's a huge amount of new startups and new businesses. Uh, and it's actually a great time to be publishing a book about being entrepreneurial. And our book really is um, not just for entrepreneurs. It's actually right. for salespeople and people who have a, a new product they need to get out in the market. Well, but to your point about the reset. Susanna is, is, yeah, I think this is an interesting time for people to take stock. And a lot of the lessons I think in the book are, yeah, it's a book about entrepreneurs or a book about personal development in the guise of stories about entrepreneurs. Cause I think it, it applies pretty widely in terms of, yeah, how you take stock of who you are and, and you know, what's going to bring you happiness and fulfillment and challenge going forward. Yeah, it is, Andy. It's a, it's a lot about the entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, how can how can you kind of approach your life or your career or the task at hand with uh, a kind of experiential learning, learning, learning by doing? Mm-hmm. So uh, the, all of the entrepreneurs in our book uh, were had to wear multiple hats, as entrepreneurs do, uh, kind of switching back and forth between salesperson to business development to leader and manager to everything else that they need to do to kind of keep keep things going um while 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 building a team to help fill in those those roles with other people well i I think it mirrors to some (laughs) greater degree these days than perhaps before is is challenges just facing people during the pandemic right is is if you're uh, a young couple of young kids, school age kids at home, and you both have jobs, and um, yeah, suddenly you've become a different type of business person. You've become an educator. You've become, you know, these other roles certainly got thrust upon you, and it requires a different perspective. And tech support. Right. A lot of tech and tech support. support, right? I forgot about tech support, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, we have to sort of break out of these old traditions, right? So if, if yes. you're if you find your office is now your home, you've got to come up with actually new rituals. And 
new habits. We, we think there have been a lot of bad habits that uh, we know we've acquired. And part of our reset club was searching for, you know, better habits and better techniques. And uh, one of the things we really believe in is connecting with other entrepreneurial minded people um, because then you may find ideas for, you know, your new offering this new product you have because you're getting outside of, you know, your bubble, which now actually might be your living room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and for many people, I think it is. Yeah. Um, all right. So just so we let people know, we're talking about your new book titled The Entrepreneur's Faces, How Makers, Visionaries, and Outsiders Succeed. And we just profile 10 founders sort of moving through these seven stages you identified that entrepreneurs sort of pass through in order to bring their ideas to fruition. Um, and as I said, I, I, I really enjoyed the book because I read it less as a book about startups and more about personal development, uh, transformation to some degree. And I think everybody's sort of confronting that idea now. And, and to your point is, is yeah, are we going to go back and sort of assume or resume, excuse me, it's sort of the same habits we had before, or are we actually going to do something different? I, yeah, I think we're going to do something different because we are. And because, the, you know, this is, we can see this is a, a year and a half to a two-year to a three-year, you know, phase. Uh, sure. Right, crisis. And Could very well be, right. Right. And so habits change during that time. And the big thing we discovered here is Susanna and I both were seeing this growth in startups in San Francisco. And we realized there wasn't one kind of entrepreneur. And we actually traveled a lot in Europe, uh, 15 different countries. And we found these different types. You know, one, the one that's probably has something to bear very directly with a, a sales angle is the evangelist. Uh, but we have you know, other great types, which we think bear, uh, we call the maker, the prototyper. We, we have a type we call the athlete. Yeah, the maker prototyper is, of course, very uh, needed right now during the pandemic because the, the, they are the ones who will prototype new things. We've seen all kinds of new products being developed right now from the, the new pain points that are popping up everywhere yeah well it's certainly to your point about like, growth and startups i mean now there's always sort of this correlation i think that over time with extra economic disruption that frees people up to become entrepreneurial right because I mean, quite frankly there are a lot of people that lost their jobs it, to exactly. or whatever it, it's, and, it's maybe the only path right yeah yeah well it has and and i think for <laughs> For to your point about startups is you know people doing that, yeah, you know, instead of being a, a gig worker at some sort, is uh, take control. Well, actually, we saw this in Portugal. We spent a lot of time in Portugal the past couple of years and became really close to many people in the ecosystem there. And mm -hmm. we, I think that the U.S. and other countries could take a take a tip from Portugal in terms of starting off people with an entrepreneurial mindset. They, of course, had to do it during their last financial crisis in 2011 or so. Mm -hmm. They actually were um, under austerity measures. Right. They had uh, the European Union overseeing their, their financial status for a while. Um, and uh, that from that time, a lot of an entrepreneurship 
uh, cave kind of took root, the the entrepreneurs found that one thing that they could do was take their unemployment money as a lump sum to seed their startups. And so a lot of uh, new companies were born and a whole new movement in entrepreneurship that's still going strong today, especially now in the pandemic. Yeah, and I would imagine we're seeing some of that here in the U.S. with with people with the checks that, that came from the government as well. So a, a question for you is, is because a lot of this, we talk about entrepreneurs, the, the talk invariably sort of trends toward this idea of what success is. So for these entrepreneurs that you profiled, what what was success? Because I think this is this is another thing that is a sort of result of the outgrowth of the pandemic is sort of redefining these some of these sort of fundamental terms we sort of talk about because you know life has changed so dramatically. Do we define success differently than we did before? I, I think it's a great question. I think in our ten entrepreneurs, we didn't want to just have twenty five year old you know billionaires, right? We we we, <laughs> right. we, we you didn't either. To, yeah. No, we didn't. Um, although many of them are very successful, even in you know monetary terms, I think they're all successful in that they were bold and they had something they believed in. Um, you know, we have everything from a sort of restaurateur who created the largest food truck parks, right, in San Francisco, right, in San Francisco in the world. Very entrepreneurial. He's. He's actually a conductor, a platform builder. He doesn't actually own a single restaurant, right? He, he created this platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a young woman who, you know, gave up a great career um, in TV at like 25 and then went to Singularity, also here in the, in the Bay Area, and was inspired to create really the first global platform to be able to work anywhere in the world. Um, to simplify the whole visa and hiring process. Right. And, and I think the beautiful thing of these 10 individuals is they had, a, you know, a, a dream of, of a specific, you know, product. Uh, one guy got fired, which, we, you know, we, we're kind of talking yep. about this with a pandemic. He, he found himself on the street one day. It, it really happened that fast. And he was a vice president at Decker's, a, a, a big, uh, you know, shoe brand. Right. And he had this dream of a different way of working, which we actually would advise people to check out. It's called a fluid stance. And he dreamed up this board that you can stand on a balancing board while working. And it's not a toy. It's, it's very advanced. And we could talk later, but he had to do some amazing sales to make this happen. And, and I think in each of these 10 stories, the, the thing that separates them is they just threw themselves into these new products or businesses. And that's really what the success was. There was monetary success, but the success was it was so fulfilling, the journey itself. Yeah, and I would agree. I think the, the reinvention portion of it um, really is, is, yeah, to your point, is, is what's fulfilling. I mean, I, I look at my own career as I've sort of laid out maybe seven or eight sort of major reinventions mm-hmm. throughout the course of the career, largely, you know, first half, largely in tech in the Valley. And, and um, yeah, every new company I went to was completely different product, different industry, different, mm-hmm. I, you know, had to fundamentally change what I understood about customers and selling and the products and the technology and so on. And I think that this is, 
you had Whitney Johnson on the show. We talked about you know, personal disruption, and I think this is sort of a piece is that you know how you know people sort of have a hard time saying taking the risk, taking the plunge. Mm-hmm. I was wondering what you saw with these people that that was sort of in common in terms of their willingness to sort of risk it all. Well, I think so. We've been talking about a, the satisfaction of the personal journey and of the this kind of lifelong learning, if you will, and the fulfillment that comes from that. But there's also a, a, a meeting the customers' needs that is another level of satisfaction, where people are out there they're proto they're prototyping and um, iterating and changing their product to meet those demands of the customers' needs. They're filling in people to take roles to actually help to uh, have a more diverse approach toward what the customer wants. And because if you, if you build your own company by yourself um, all around to uh, the idea of meeting a customer need, it's probably not going to reflect a very uh, diverse base of customers. So Mm -hmm. you kind of need the other team members to help you, reach other other pockets of users and 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 that feedback itself can be very fulfilling when you when you kind of know that you're serving your community of users you're serving your community your network of uh partners and your and also your team yeah and let me jump in we um, sure about a fifth of our book is set in stanford i think you maybe went to this uh, university I've heard of it, yeah. Right? And uh, it's in the D School, which is the design school founded by um, the IDEO founder, David Kelly. I I wrote a couple books in the past with IDEO. And salespeople would love this part of the book. I think they might love all of the book. But this um, accelerator there is called Launchpad. And it's a college class. It's 10 weeks. And half a billion of, of value of companies have come out of this college class in, in nine years. And the reason is they prototype selling. It's very interesting because a lot of accelerators are prototyping pitching, right? The yep. idea that you just pitch and you get money and, and there's a happy ending. And we all know that's kind of a fantasy most of the time. <laughs> yes. And this professor, his name is Perry Clavin, um, had created a company, a real product, and he really loved snowshoes, right? Yeah, a crazy thing, snowshoes. And he, but he loved selling, and he loved figuring out, you know, the key value for a customer, and then prototyping the price, the proposition. So, you know, we got to attend this for two years. This this incubator. And really what astounded us, it was so different from other accelerators. You know, you've heard of the famous mm. Y Combinator. Sure, 500 startups. 500, yeah. Here he would make college kids who really couldn't sell anything, right? They couldn't sell actually lemonade. And they actually have a whole exercise where they have to sell lemonade. And they figure out if they create a better proposition, they can make thousands of dollars in an hour selling lemonade, right? So they, it's one of the greatest incubators for selling probably in the world because they take this maker mindset and, and really think dip, deeply about your customer and how you're going to sell. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the ironies, I think, of, in my mind, of 
uh, I'll just sort of say broadly, sort of the the SaaS business mm-hmm. is that so many of these companies are are started in order to fundamentally disrupt the markets that they serve. And yet, when it comes to you know past the innovation stage and past the you know beginning stage, it was actually becoming more of a company and trying to create predictable revenue streams. Is that they basically default to selling the old-fashioned way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I find this so curious, right? Is is that uh, you know companies that are dedicated and created this idea of disruption default to using sort of these really rigid compliance-oriented sales processes that that had they thought or tried to use them at the front, it would never have succeeded. Um, it becomes sort of anti-entrepreneurial, and it's, I'm don't know if you have any insights. That's just sort of an observation. It's just like yeah. it's yeah, it's crazy uh, to me. I, I we do have some insights in that. At least I I I do. I think we do together. Um, that sales it can't be an afterthought. It can't be the thing like you can't dream up a great product but not think about how you're going to get it to market and how you're going to get it out there to customers. We found that when we went to to trade shows like, say, CES mm-hmm. uh, or or Web Summit, one of the biggest uh, tech trade shows in Europe, we would we would well, we wanted to kind of control thing the pitch that we were getting from the the young entrepreneurs in their in their booths. So you can't really walk the floor and be pitched to again and again, uh, or your time will all be stolen away from you, and you won't actually end up learning anything. Right. So we flipped it around on on people in in the booths. We would walk the floor, and we we would go, approach the booth, and we would say, "Hey, do you want to play a game?" And usually <laughs> they would, and we'd say, "This will this will just take two minutes of your time." We kind of switch the power dynamic on them. And and um, controlled their pitch, and so what we would do is ask them four questions, and these questions would, if you think of a say, sort of a quadrant, right, with a like a letter in each one. Right. First letter would be C for customer. Who's your targeted customer? The next quadrant is P for pain. What is the pain that you're trying to solve? Um, these are obvious startup questions, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Sure. What's your what's your sort of special sauce, the core magic right. of your of your product, and what that, that they can't live without? But then in that fourth quadrant, sales. How are you going to get it to people? How are you going to achieve sales fast? And this is the question that often would make them make them kind of fall down. They would say, "Oh, well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, sell to corporates, or you know, they just didn't know. They didn't have it worked out. Yeah, it was amazing. It was just missing. It was just they they had no strategy, and as you point out, no innovation, no. Well, uh, enterprise customers will just buy our product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that dream many times. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that there's a um, process innovation demand. I think that that you know, there's a lot of talk about how buying behaviors have changed mm-hmm. and they have certainly to some degree inarguably they have um not perhaps as much as as some people think because quite frankly humans aren't evolving you know measurably over 25 year period in the way they process information but but you know get these innovative products people want to bring to market oftentimes as i said in the most sort of cumbersome way it's like 
all right, if buying behaviors really have changed, don't we need to fundamentally change how we approach those customers um, and deal with them as they go through their process of making a decision? I don't get too far off the mark, but in the conversation, well, that that part is ripe for ripe for innovation. Yeah, you know, there, uh, I'll just mention another character in our book, um, Alan Young, mm-hmm. and, and Alan Young is is a guy we call a leader, and he, you know, attended Seth Godin's alternative MBA program, and, mm-hmm. and Seth Godin is one of these creative people I think you're talking about where. Alan was really learning about how to create buzz and how to how to market and ultimately about sales. And so after going through this nine month program, which was free, but he had to be like, you know, one of a thousand, you know, a 10 of a thousand people who wanted to get in. He got into Y Combinator, not because he believed in a startup that was joining, because he wanted to learn their model. And then he created his own incubator and he actually kind of sold, you know, space in the incubator by creating buzz. Mm-hmm. So, so he had free events for all these, you know, international entrepreneurs and, and people coming to the city. And in three months, he had 300 entrepreneurs there. I think he had 80 different startups. Um, and it's, it, was, it was called Runway. It was um, in, the, it is in the Twitter building. He did the same thing with getting investors, you know, for this process. And after he did this model, he actually created a different incubator, which was all about sales, because he realized that, you know, when startups start to prove out their tech, they do need more people. They do need to sell. So he created a completely different incubator around selling. And I think that is still missing in the world that that there's a stage that a company moves to where it's really about customers and customer acquisition, but there isn't a really good creative, you know, support for that yet in the world. Well, I think where the where the gap exists, and I think where the innovation uh, demand is, is we've used technology very effectively to create demand. Mm-hmm. At sort of the top of the sales funnel, if you will, mm-hmm. and to get that level of initial level of engagement with potential buyers, where the gap exists <laughs> and where the problem exists is from that point to actually getting an order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way that takes place today is virtually the same as it was a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. This is through tech companies everywhere. That right. that process of helping the customer understand what the problem is they're trying to solve and helping them understand the alternatives and choose the one that's going to help them sort of achieve their vision of success virtually unchanged in a hundred years. And this is, this is, I think problem because since so many of these, certainly the tech startups where I've got a lot of familiarity and experiences is great products, but very ineffective in the way they sell. Well, it, it's a great point. I think what we find with our research is that often innovation and entrepreneurship can be limited in key elements of business. And um, obviously, we haven't seen the same kind of innovation with uh, sales as we have with with design, as we have with product development. Innovation and entrepreneurship is not universal. 
right? And I think you're hitting at something really important. There hasn't been the same creativity and innovation in sales as there have been in many other elements of yeah. of startups. And I think it's it's ripe and there's a lot of opportunity and people like yourself and, and I think many of your guests hopefully are you know are working at this. We'd we'd say that our type, you know, the maker type, and Susanna happens to be a maker here, is a great type to start prototyping some of these new sales approaches. Yeah. Well, I, I would go back to a, a comment you in the book, which I really liked and, and is in your awakening section, sort of the first mm-hmm. of your seven phases, is you talk about this is adopting a mindset of discovery, but you say it's about character too. And I want to explore that because I, don't, I think we spend way too little time talking about the importance of character in business. And so tell us what you were thinking about when you were writing that. Well, we're thinking about, we, we wanted to give a model to people that, that, that was missing. We kind of had empathy for our, our entrepreneurial community. Um, prior to our book, uh, the Lean Startup was sort of, um, and still is, the kind of a mm-hmm. Bible for people in terms sure. of, in terms of um, a product-centric approach to entrepreneurship. Uh, of course, Business Model Canvas is another uh, yep. uh, framework that people can, can get around. Um, but we, there, we, we felt that what was missing was the human centric approach, the, the model that would bring people's uh, narratives to learn from and uh, mm-hmm. archetypes that they could study and uh, embrace after they found their own. Um, so that's kind of self-awareness of what are you, what are you good at? What are you, what are you maybe not so good at? Where do you need help? Uh, this is how you build a team of uh, the, a strong, diverse team to really get your venture moving and uh, keep it keep it uh, successful. Yeah, we were actually talking um, actually on another podcast the other day on a similar topic uh, to someone who saw themselves as a visionary, which is one of our ten types. And mm-hmm. He was expressing sort of his frustration that his partners would think that he would talk too much and was sort of wasting their time with his visions, right, in in meetings and in, in prototyping and, and brainstorming. And I think when you start to find your archetype, um, I'm the athlete um, type, for instance, you also start to have empathy and understanding for the other types. And you, you start to realize what you're missing and you're better at listening to the other types. So you, you're, you're willing to listen to the visionary because you know they have this potential of a breakthrough and a new model that really isn't in your, in your bandwidth, right? Mm-hmm. And I need uh, the maker here, Susanna, because I can't do these quick prototypes. I might have an idea for one, but I can't, I can't do the tinkering and the hard work to test it. And, and when you go back to this question of character, I think there's just a, a lot of power in finding your, your type or types, and it's okay to be a hybrid, and accepting that and sort of going full in with, with who you are, but also realizing who you want to partner with. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, we don't go through life alone for sure. Um, and whether that's 
you know, as a salesperson, whether that's a mentor you find or a peer that that uh, can help you. But I, you talked about you know makers and so on. I think in sales, you everybody's sort of forced to some degree to be sort of a maker because this idea is that that you have to constantly experiment. And I think this is where the stagnation I see, at least in the sales field, but also see in business oftentimes, is that is this lack of a willingness to really experiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's I have this one of the favorite quotes from Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, that I refer to frequently, which was, you know, all life is an experiment. The more experiments you make, the better. Mm-hmm. And I think that really captures it to, to a large degree. Is And I think also through the stories of the the 10 profiles, 10 archetypes, your 10 entrepreneurs is, is they all experimented a lot. Uh, I think they all pivoted uh, yeah, and let's, fairly, let's, sig- fairly significantly at one point or another as well, which is, I think is, is for me, the story gets back to character and resilience yeah. and so on is that you're going to have these challenges, but keep experimenting and be prepared to, to pivot. Yeah, and when you come to sales, so one of our great characters is a fellow named Uvi Deagle. He's actually a little older. Uh, he, he was going through this certain phase uh, in his early 50s, and he had this great new product, and he'd always had success with Kickstarters, and it was, it was a sort of health-related product, and he failed in a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So here you have a sales you know, effort complete failure and then and he realized why it was a failure because it was a product to, to help um people with a disease which is something that really hadn't succeeded ever in kickstarter it was you know quite a serious medical product so instead of licking his wounds he jumped on an airplane and he went to this famous web summit and he entered a contest there were a thousand startups in it and he didn't even know there was a prize, but he got on the stage. He shook Al Gore's hand before. I mean, this is what a big event it was. Al Gore was, you know, the keynote speaker. There were 12,000 people in the audience live, right? And thousands more outside. And he gave this amazing pitch and he won 50,000 euros. He didn't even know. And uh, he got this big contract. So here you, you have a guy who failed in his prototype, his experiment, right? Well, didn't didn't he have a little more drama than that? <laughs> he, he did. He, he he had plenty of drama. He, I had mean, of, he had a lot of drama, and he he so he's the character we call the evangelist. And he, an evangelist, really knows that this you're, you can't just tell a story about your launch or tell a tell a little story about who you are. There has to be drama. There has to be conflict. And he knew this from the get-go with his with his pitch, which is was why it was such a winning pitch. He was able to move people's hearts around the idea that this product that he had made was um, actually developed for his brother, who was a diabetic. Right, as a refrigerator to carry yeah. medicines. Right, yeah. right. He had had his insulin uh, frozen by the hotel staff at so somewhere where they were staying. Mm-hmm. And so they needed to create a product that uh, was for, for people like him um, or also just people who had chronic diseases and, and needed refrigerated medicine. So that's what it was, was a mini fridge. But he really got that... Um, that, 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 that the story 
is really the most important, one of the most important ways to to sell the product. Yeah, and he, he built up this company years before thinking about the story of it, years before he'd actually be able to even sell it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually call him Mr. Cool uh, because he makes these refrigerators. Right. And Mr. Cool is now coming to the rescue, actually, for COVID. And yeah. creating refrigeration to carry vaccines as we speak, because um, he has different products uh, that that cool. So his bags will be carrying uh, vaccines in a few weeks around Europe. Um, so it's it's a he's a pure storyteller salesman. So I think that's something we would maybe encourage your listeners is that part of the story and people like that. There is this 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 creative aspect of selling, which is, you know, moving, as Susanna mentioned, the sort of hearts and minds Mm -hmm. and and figuring out things that are beyond, you know, data and beyond, you know, the obvious, you know, product feature and benefit. And this guy is a master. Yeah. And I I think that, that, um, at least based on my reading of, of his story and so on too, is that, but he was telling a sort of specific story, and one that I I emphasize a lot when I'm working with sellers is that there is this emphasis on becoming a storyteller. But but these days, everyone wants to give sellers stories to tell, and the most effective story, is, as you referred to, is is the story of the person listening to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if you if you can help them mm-hmm. envision what you know success is for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always think back to this quote from John Steinbeck. He says, you know, if the if the story isn't about the listener or the reader, then they're not going to be interested. You know, paraphrasing it. But I think that's that's such a critical thing when you're trying to do something new is you have to put the person in the frame. Right? It has to be their story of success. They, uh, it's called the whiffum, right? The what's in it for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some degree. Yeah. Yeah, you need to actually put put the put the user first and and tell them why they need to care. Exactly, exactly. All right. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. But um, so, if people want to learn more about your book and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can find the book on Amazon. So again, it's called The Entrepreneur's Faces: How Makers, Visionaries, and Outsiders Succeed. Uh, we also have a website, theentrepreneursfaces.com, which I, as a maker, built, and I built a little, <laughs> I built a little quiz there uh, where you can find out your own type, and then um, share that with us or share that with uh, other people on social media. Uh, and of course, we're on we're on LinkedIn and we're on Twitter. Yeah, I'd add, we we write a lot. We're writing for you know Startup Nation, a number of other publications. So. We would like to tell more great sales stories. So um, maybe something to your audiences. We'd like to hear, you know, creative or just, or you know, heartwarming or successful sales story. Um, and we think it's going to be an amazing time in the coming months in terms of business. Excellent. All right, Jonathan, Susanna, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, it was Andy. wonderful to be here. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm ever so grateful for your support of this program. And I want to thank my guests, Jonathan Lippman and Susanna Camp, for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, 
on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate that. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help and thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>